Well, thanks everybody for joining Theology with Friends. Um, I'm Paxton, your host, and my friend today, new friend, of course. New friend. Five minutes, yep. Um, <laughs> his name is Zach Wagner, and uh, he just wrote a book, which is how I got connected, um, Non-Toxic Masculinity, so a bit of a trigger right there, you know. <laughs> Jump right in to uh, end the subtitle, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. And um, you're getting your PhD at Oxford. It's a college under Oxford, right? I don't know how that. Yeah. So the Oxford works on a collegiate system, um, which is like super old school university. And yeah. Oxford is just everything so traditional. So, yeah, I'm part of Keeble College in Oxford. Okay. Everyone who's a student at Oxford is a member of a certain college. Um, and unlike a lot of schools in the States where you have like the College of Business or the College of Sociology or whatever the case may be, they're just organized differently um so yeah i'm keeble keeble college uh but i'm a student at student phd student at oxford university okay and you wrote a book at the same time yes. so i'm sure that was really easy to navigate not right? stressful at all yeah <laughs> how many years do you have left by the way i'm hoping to finish up um this academic year is kind of when i'm scheduled to be done so okay. i'm really kind of in the home stretch working hard trying to read something stupid like 100 pages a day and yep. write a lot of um write a certain amount of words as well just to get the the dissertation across the finish line i'll probably have some like t's to cross and i's to dot uh going yeah. into the fall uh but hoping to get as close to done by this summer um yeah man. and then hopefully completely done by the end of the calendar year so that's crazy well kudos to you and you know i'm sure a lot of people appreciate the the extra work you're putting in to write this book. So for mm. people who don't know at all, somebody that hasn't read or listened to this book, can you just give a quick like synopsis and then why sure. you did it? Cause, cause it's intense. It's intense for sure. Yeah. Uh, would love to. Um, and I don't think I said yet, yeah, just thanks for the invite and for having me on looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as far as the book goes, I'll give an overview of it first. Maybe it's, um, best to understand it within this kind of broader genre of kind of post-purity culture memoirs, you might say. And okay. there's a handful of these out there that have been written over the past, you know, four, five, six years, um, especially. And I got started reading some of those uh, maybe four years ago and found um, a lot of them super helpful. Really, all, all of them that I've read helpful in various ways. Yeah. Um, all of them were interestingly um written by a woman um written by women rather and yeah. with the one exception perhaps being matthias roberts uh book beyond shame which doesn't kind of frame itself around purity culture necessarily although he does talk about purity culture a decent yeah. amount but he's um he's a gay man and he writes a lot out of that experience um and i'm not you know i'm i'm a heterosexual guy and uh married guy and grew up in the purity culture context so different yeah. kind of sets of experiences so i wasn't always seeing those kind of experiences as a man in purity culture and what made that unique reflected in these other books and yeah. um then added to that i was seeing a lot of uh starting to see not just because of these books that i was reading but other things just kind of in the news and my own reflection and study yeah. some of the connections between the quote unquote, and we can come around to like, what is purity culture and all that, if you like, sure. um, some of the kind of quote unquote purity culture messaging that I grew up with in the kind of late nineties, early aughts, 
and the uh, sexual abuse crisis, as we've seen it um, yeah. in the church coming to light over the past, uh, certainly American evangelical church over the past five years or so, where you kind of just see scandal after scandal and uh, uncomfortable uh, falls from grace and just realities that are coming to light in various denominations. Um, I was starting to see some of those things as connected, this kind of vision of male sexuality that I was reared on and seems like it was prevailing, did prevail, is continuing to prevail in certain segments of the evangelical church in America. And this kind of toxic, dysfunctional, unhealthy male sexuality uh, in in the church and in personal experiences uh, for myself and other men that I talked to or was in relationship with um, as adults and into our marriage. Yeah. Um, for those of us who who have uh, have gotten married at, at some point. So I uh, wanted to write a book about that. And uh, I felt like this was something that other people could find helpful and might might be needed. And I wasn't I didn't kind of like set out like I'm a guru and I've been thinking about masculinity uh, for, you know, 20 years. You know, I'm yeah. I'm only I'm only 32 now. I was 29 when I started to write it. Okay. So uh, it's really just kind of like um you write to figure out what you think about something you you yeah. you set out on a big project like this partially because you have things you're trying to process and there's a lot of personal experiences um that led me to wanting to to tackle this topic as well so um the first half of the book is kind of a uh analysis of purity culture and what i see as some of the unhelpful theological kind of underpinnings of purity mm -hmm. culture and talking about some of the messages that were there and how they're relevant for young men in particular and um, how they might have affected men who grew up hearing uh, some of this rhetoric and these messages. And then um, in around the middle of the book, I try to create a different way of approaching questions of quote unquote purity and male sexuality and how we think about being human, how we think about being male. And then for the second half of the book, it's all kind of stage by stage going through from childhood to adolescence to dating, singleness, marriage, if you get married, and then it actually ends with death and resurrection um, at the end of the book. So different stages in a man's life and um, just reflections on um, sexuality relevant to those stages kind of through this paradigm of growing up into Christ likeness. That's the yeah. second half. Man, well, like I said, that's intense. And I remember reading it. Um, I mean, I really did pause it multiple times. Like I, um, I got burnt out in ministry about a year, year and a mm. half ago. And, um, you know, in my healing journey, well, it really in the downfall and the healing journey was just a lot mm -hmm. of exposure to things I was struggling with and had struggled with and trauma and things that were kind of bringing themselves totally. to the surface. And I mean, this was huge. I mean, this was really, really big. I grew up Southern Baptist, and then mm. I went into AG, Assemblies of God um, church circles, and those are my friends, those are my pastors and mentors. And even there, um, while it, you know, to some Baptist folk, uh, AG might be progressive, um, they were <laughs> decently conservative in that regard. And sure. I just remember listening to the book and... Uh, I just would like stop and be like, what was I thinking? Or like, 
why mm. am I feeling this? And I just be crying. And uh, I, I guess what I want to focus on um, is, you know, we, I don't feel like we need to talk too much about purity culture in general, because sure. most of my listeners, even conservative progressive are already like, I got it. I got it. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but, but what I, I do want to talk about the masculine um, and the male struggle within purity sure. culture. Sure. Um, and then the effects. And then, I mean, we'll come back hopefully to, to the hope, you know, yeah. um, after that. But I, I'd love to hit on that a lot because I know um, I sent the book to some of my friends and was like, dude, like some of my accountability friends from high school. Totally. Was like, yes. like, you got to listen to this, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd yeah. love to just jump into the, the masculine perspective and how, you know, it affected men. Like, what did you see um, mm -hmm. as far as writing the book? Yeah, one of the things um, that I sometimes saw really in just kind of online conversations about purity culture um, and even to a lesser extent, some of the books and articles and different things I was reading was this idea that there's a double standard in purity culture that is associated with kind of patriarchy more broadly, where kind of there's a lot of pressure put on women in terms and girls in terms of how they're dressing and it, they're responsible for not causing men to quote unquote stumble or mm -hmm. uh creating boundaries and relationships because there's this kind of popular idea that men can't help themselves if there's a certain visual situ like stimulus or a situation where there you know there's this assumption that men don't have self-control or can't have self-control yeah. and we'll come back to that in a sec and so it's women's responsibility to kind of like preserve the purity of each individual relationship as well as the broader community um so it creates this understanding and i would see this talked about where like men can do whatever they want and but women need to be very strictly like locked down in terms of their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like that wasn't my experience in purity culture in the sense that like even as a as a boy, as a young man, like I felt like it was very high stakes what I did and didn't do or, around my sexuality. And I felt like it was a really big deal whether I uh, you know, slept with somebody before I got married. That wasn't just like a rule for the girls. It was also very much a rule for me as a guy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like, I can't speak for everybody in every context, but I kind of wanted to counter this idea that like, there were a lot of rules for girls and guys would could just kind of do whatever the heck they wanted. I, like, that yeah. was not my experience at all. Um, that, that said... Um, and I already hinted at this and kind of what I've said already in response to this question, there's this narrative that prevails in uh, purity culture settings, rhetoric books, that men are kind of out of control. And yeah. they can't really be expected to act in um, act with integrity or control themselves or really keep it locked down for a long amount of time and yeah. uh, keep it above board as it relates to their purity, quote unquote. Um, so there's like this vision of what it means to be a man that to be male is to, is to be, as I say in the book, helplessly and hopelessly hypersexual in your way of viewing the world. Um, yeah. And that 
seems to me to take kind of this like popular narrative around male libido sexuality from the broader culture and then kind of like Christianize it and say, well, this is just part of being a dude. What can you do? So yeah. then guys in purity culture are kind of stuck in this bind where on the one hand, you're being told like, hey, this is just how it goes for guys. You're going to have these struggles. You're going to have these temptations. Um, you're going to be dealing with lust and and uh, self-control issues. Mm -hmm. But it is very high stakes. And if you screw up, your marriage is ruined, your life is ruined. And your like salvation could also be depending on, you know, yeah. what level of the kind of purity culture rhetoric you've got. Yeah. Um, the, the, this is all really high stakes. So you kind of feel like mm -hmm. this is hopeless, but it's also going to kill me. Yeah. But I can't possibly do it right because I'm male. And so it creates this kind of crazy making cycle. Yeah. Um, and I found that was the case for myself and also for a lot of the men I talked to when I was uh, setting out to write this book. Last thing I'll say here is um, people often associate purity culture with, with I Kiss Dating Goodbye, um, Joshua Harris, and some of these books like that. Uh, in the men that I talked to, and certainly in my experience as well, I read all those books too, but the, the book that kept coming up was Every Man's Battle, Stephen Arterburn mm. and Fred Stoiker, which is... Uh, that's kind of like the the thesis of that book is what I just described. This idea that it is part of being male to quote unquote struggle with lust. Mm -hmm. And this is every man's battle. It's just something that is part of being a dude. And there's like a chapter that says we just got there by being male. Um, so it normalizes this way of viewing other people's bodies, this way of viewing women's bodies mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. just inevitable um and uh that i think uh starts us off in a pretty problematic place as as young men who grew up hearing these messages and sometimes continue to hear them today yeah that was my biggest um takeaway or note in the book was what mm. you said what was helplessly hopelessly hyper helplessly and hopelessly hypersexual in our view of the world that's, that's then, the vision of male sexuality that a lot of us got. And then the phrase, it'll kill me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I was fit, I mean, when I was 14 to 17, so yeah, th this is so much to unravel. Me and my wife got mm -hmm. married at 18. Yeah. And while that was a part of the story, um, you know, burning and desire and all that. Totally. Um, First Corinthians you know, though, those sort of that that wasn't why we got married i <laughs> um i think god you know we had a strong bond and mm -hmm. we had um strong bonds with god and each other and we knew what we wanted but you know that was an interesting part of our journey was sure like i'm gonna finally be saved like i <laughs> totally. not only will i not die but i will be my salvation will be solid and, you mm. know, all these things. Um, and obviously three months into our marriage, it was like, oh, well, there's something here that's still a struggle. And oh, oh, that, I, yeah, that I don't even need to go deep. That, just that part of like, I don't know if, you know, the, the female perspective has heard that a lot of like mm -hmm. the burning, like dying of a teenage guy that actually loves Jesus 
but Mm -hmm. is told that there is nothing to do but suffer. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like there's nothing to do but just suffer through it. So yeah, I mean, what, what comes of that? Um, What's the, what's the hope for that? (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, it's interesting because you, you know, you, you referenced kind of like getting married as like being saved. And I think we, we don't, explicitly talk about it that way but i think the way these stakes are raised up so high sometimes with in in purity culture you're kind of treating marriage like it is your salvation where it's gonna make you like you're not saved by jesus you're saved by marriage like marriage frees you from your loneliness uh kind of gives you a sense of purpose it's your thing that you're striving for for your life and then like once you're married you've like arrived and you've kind of like made it to paradise or something like that um and then for people um guys and girls but for uh people who experience like an acute longing for sexual connection with somebody else it and then in conjunction with that experience, a lot of temptation to sexual sin, then marriage saves you from sin too. And I think for a lot of young men of our generation, like if you would have asked me, like, what's the number one reason you're a sinner? Or what's the number one category of sin that you struggle with? It would have been lust. Like that's lust. what you're thinking about <laughs> when you're 17. Like, and it's not close. Like that's why I'm terrible is because I yeah. have this sexual part of me that I can't keep under control. So then you look ahead to a marriage and you're like, oh, great. I'll have a, I'll have a kind of God approved outlet for this out of control desire. And then I'll just like supposedly like not be tempted to sin anymore. At least yeah, like I was so excited not, for that moment. <laughs> 90%, 90% of my struggle with sin will just be like in the rearview mirror. But that's not even yeah. how that one, there are all sorts of other patterns of sin that we can talk about that are not just yeah. about our sexuality that I think yeah. often get de-emphasized for young people um and then uh it's not like just because you can have sex with your spouse means that you're never tempted to uh sin sexually in other ways and you can sin sexually against your spouse in the way that you're treating them the way that you're expressing your desire for them the way you feel entitled to their body like it's not just because you're married there's no category of sexual sin within that relationship anymore of course there is um so sorry that's not very hopeful um but it was some of the things that i was responding to in in your uh in your category there or in your uh comments there rather um I, what I try to do in the book is move away from a purity paradigm where you have to kind of keep it all as locked up as possible, not endorsing sexual sin by any means, but I am trying to change the way that we think about sexual sin and reorient us towards a paradigm where instead of like, you're in a state of perfection and you need to preserve that perfection as much as you can, which feels a lot like what we sometimes call works righteousness, ironically enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead think like we start in a state of immaturity as we are in, you know, all aspects of our life, both as humans and as Christians. And we then want to grow up into Christ likeness. So as it relates to our sexuality, historically, we've talked about this in the church as the virtue of chastity. And chastity today, people hear that term and they think like, okay, well, that's about kind of not ever having sex or not having sex before you before you get married is about staying chaste. 
But chastity is a bigger virtue than that. And it's one that you continue to grow up into even after you're married. So all people, um, young and old, as Christians, we are called to grow up into the virtue of chastity. And um, as I talk about in the book, I came to realize a few years into my marriage that I still had a lot of um, unhealthy and sinful patterns uh, and attitudes of thinking and uh, behaviors that related to my sexuality that didn't just like go away because now I was in a sexual relationship with my wife. Um, so realizing that one, my marriage didn't like rescue me from my sexual sin or my sexual brokenness um, was defeating in a certain sense, because that was kind of the hope that was held out in purity culture. Like just, just like hold on tight, you'll get to your marriage and everything will be fine. Yeah. But once I realized that that just wasn't the most helpful way to think about it and just like, oh, OK, like getting married actually wasn't supposed to be the solution to that. I can look at other um, resources and ways of thinking about growing up um, that don't require me to just be sexually demanding of my partner in my marriage. That's 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 not growing into holiness. That's kind of using someone as a crutch for your sin. Um, so, uh, man, and th it's been a journey, man. But over the past kind of like six, seven years that I've been working through some of this stuff <clears throat> and I've been married for almost 10, uh, it's just so much better uh, to, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, take responsibility for your own kind of sexual integrity and your own growth and holiness and not view your spouse, your wife as a um, kind of release valve for your sexual frustration. And one thing that made me learn, uh, helped me to learn that um, was just realizing that like sex and marriage doesn't always click easily. Like there's a lot that you need to work through there and there's um, kind of two sides to that equation. And it's not just uh, uh, the man is entitled to this and the woman's obligated to give it uh, that that really isn't a Christian way of thinking about marriage uh, in a lot of ways. I, I, so I feel like I'm rambling and ranting a little bit uh, now. So <laughs> no, I'll pause no, and give you a chance to, to react and ask a follow up. As yeah. Well. Yeah. I think <clears throat> something that um, the, part of purity culture that talked about marriage and you know we say that it wasn't taught that marriage will save you but it's hard to think that i didn't really hear that because i'm i'm sure yeah. i did <laughs> you know I'm, yeah. I'm sure somebody even if it maybe was a joke or it was like we mm -hmm. didn't technically say that like it was like why wait to get married and why they and like i said we didn't get married for that reason but sure i mean that was just like yeah that it's going to be a big saving thing and i remember maybe two or three years ago, like I was, you know, 22, so still pretty young, mm -hmm. but my friends, you know, maybe some were 25, 26, you know, they still weren't married. And I remember the beginning of my marriage, I was like, you know, feeling bad for my high school friends that were, you know, staying chased and all this. I'm like, y'all mm -hmm. don't even know, you know, and then mm -hmm. I'm 22, 23. I'm not thinking that way anymore because I'm like, well, if some of my friends aren't even close to marriage, 
they surely can't be suffering because they're living a regular life. So what does it totally like? What does it mean to live and honor God with my sexuality? Because people can do it and not even be married their whole entire life. Right. And I'm still like, I'm still struggling with sin, you know, lust, whatever. And I'm married. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, what, what are the, what's the conjunction between that thinking of a single person you totally. know, going through that? You know? Yeah. Uh, well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in the sense that I think we're often encouraged to think about not having sex as like suffering. And it's like, yeah, there's such a thing as sexual frustration and, and uh-huh. sexual loneliness. And there is there are various types of suffering associated with sexuality that certainly relate mm-hmm. to abuse. And I think like sexual loneliness is a form of that perhaps. But I think that can be inflated to this idea where like, a young person who doesn't have a sexual relationship is like, oh, well, how could you, like, how can you live? How could you possibly function as an adult? And, um, but people do it all the time. <laughs> you know, people go <laughs> a long time without having sexual connections with yeah. another person. And um, even in marriage, there are long stretches yeah. and yeah. Uh, dynamics uh, in, that develop in relationships where you know, it's not like everybody who's married is having sex like, you know, five times a week. That's not that's not that's not how it works. Um, and I think yeah. you kind of fantasize about that, perhaps as a young person where you're like, oh, man, it'll be great. There'll be no reason not to. And we'll just like instead of, you know, masturbating five times a week, I'll just be having sex five times a week. <laughs> exactly. And like that's exactly. not that's not a relationship. Um, yeah, that's that's not how well, I should say that's not how most relationships work uh, sure. and certainly not over over an All extended amount of time. Um, so, uh, yeah, that idea that a person can't be, um, happy, fulfilled, self-controlled, a fully kind of human person without this sexual part of their lives being acted out in a certain way, Hmm. just smacks of a certain type of entitlement, it seems to me, and like sets the bar really low for what kind of holiness and um, chastity and uh, the virtue of self-control and all of these things can be and what Christians are called to. And I don't think we see that message in the New Testament, frankly. And uh, one way we can, and by that I mean the message that you can't like be a fully human person without having a sexual relationship in marriage. Yeah. Um, and I think just exhibit A for that is the fact that Jesus was single and celibate and never had sex. And you can add to that. The apostle Paul was the same. And there's no sense that they're like less than human because they're not married or because they're single men or um, that they couldn't possibly expect that unmarried men, um, not only that they might be called to lifelong or at least long-term singleness. Mm -hmm. And that is a, is a gospel vocation every bit as much as as marriage is a vocation in the gospel mm-hmm. um but there's no like oh well guys can't be expected men especially kind of need this and if they don't get it uh they're gonna sin sexually the just kind of consistent um call is just to avoid sexual immorality porneia is the greek term for that and to exhibit self-control 
and to be mature. And, you know, in, in Timothy, your young men are told to uh, treat young women as sisters in all purity is the language there. So this isn't like a yeah. uh, guys like hurry up and get a wife because you couldn't possibly be sexually mature and uh, responsible. Otherwise there's, there's a higher call than that. There's a higher call than just viewing marriage as an outlet for your immature sexual uh, behavior. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say higher call. Would Paul, I mean, Paul talks about singleness. Would he say that is a higher call? Maybe. I don't know if that's <laughs> explicit, you know, but. Um, he, he seems to get really close to saying it, but he doesn't quite yeah. want to say it in 1 Corinthians 7. So, yeah. um, well, Peter had a wife, right? Peter, yeah, as far as we know, seems like Peter had yeah. a wife. Um, yeah. and, uh, he had a, he had a mother-in-law and, um, that seems to imply that he had a, he had a wife, True, true um, <laughs> but we don't, we don't have any other, uh, evidence of any of the apostles mm-hmm. having a spouse. So maybe Peter was the only one. Yeah. Oh, we just don't know. Uh, yeah. but Paul makes, uh, quite a deal about the fact that he doesn't, um, have, uh, a wife, but in in first in first Corinthians nine, actually, he says that as an apostle, he does have the right to take a wife if he wants to. Yeah. Um, mm. But he doesn't do that. Um, but first Corinthians seven is kind of the ex- most extended discussion of singleness and marriage and sexual ethics in Paul's epistles, and he does talk about how um, single people do have, in his view, greater opportunity to be on mission and serve uh, the mm-hmm. church because they're not distracted with the cares of married life. Yeah, um, He does give allowance that, you know, the verse that's often used and I think sometimes abused in this sense, where he says uh, to two kind of hypothetical young people that... Um, it's better to be married than to burn. Um, and it's not entirely clear what that means, but it's often, uh, taken to just mean like, yeah, you're burning with desire. Uh, so if you're burning with desire, it's better to be married than to sin sexually. And I think Paul would agree with that. Like, don't, don't think there's this like kind of hyper spiritual status of being single that you need to maintain um, artificially because it's just better to be single while you're also indulging in sexual immorality. I think what he's saying, like the equivalent is don't avoid being married just because you think it's better to be single and then get your sexual fix on the side. Like Hmm. there's nothing wrong with getting married. If you're having sexual desires, if you're having sexual desires, it's not sinful to get married. I think that's the point of what he's saying there. Yeah. Um, but he does seem he 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 flat out says like I kind of I kind of wish everybody were single <laughs> as I am because then I think yeah. we'd have a lot more focus on the kingdom of God, um, yeah. which may seem like he's implying that it's better to be single. But multiple times in that chapter in First Corinthians seven, he comes right up to the edge of saying. Uh, marriage is is bad or worse or less or something like that. And he always denies it. He always says, it's not a sin to be married. It's not a lesser spiritual status. I kind of wish everybody was single, but it's not wrong that people aren't single. Um, So he's kind of towing this line here 
um, yeah. in First Corinthians seven, and it's a really fascinating passage. And I think yeah. uh, we do well to sit with it more and sit sit with what is and isn't he saying uh, specifically. And um, one thing that he is certainly not saying is that. Uh, single people cannot be expected to control themselves, um, which is often what that is taken taken to mean because of what he says elsewhere in First Corinthians six, for example, <laughs> that uh, we should flee from sexual immorality. Um, so it doesn't say that, it, which is not the same thing as saying no one can be sexual have uh, sexual health or integrity unless they're married. Of course, that's not the case because that doesn't apply to him. He's not married, yeah. and I, I think he would understand himself as as having integrity around his sexuality. Yeah, so the verse about the burning in desire, that uses person, too. It's not man, right? Uh, well, give me a sec, and I can look at it. Yeah, I can't um, exactly remember. It's, but I, it's, better, it's better to... Um, should have had my... Bible on hand, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this have is my fun. Phone this is hand. fun. We're doing it live time. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, so concerning the matters about which you wrote, so this is you can imagine someone having sent Paul a letter where they're asking, okay. Is it wrong to be married? Is it better to be single? There's this scene mm-hmm. kind of seems to be, Is it wrong to have sex? Because this was an idea that was present in the ancient yeah. world in certain segments of Greek philosophy yeah. that it was just better to not be sexual. And he says, no, it's okay to, it's okay to have sex. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for where it says, quote unquote, it's good for a man uh, not to have sexual relations with a woman. And then he says, but because of temptation to sexual immorality, each person, um, yeah, each, now, now I'm looking at the Greek. Um, yeah, each should have his own um, wife and each her own husband, which is to mm-hmm. say, be faithful to your be faithful to your to your partner. Yeah. So, um, the, so the burning is applying to both. Even well, the burning bit. And things. Yeah, yeah. Um, the burning. It's is hard to make that claim on, to the unmarried and the widows. <laughs> I say this: it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. So there's no like single. Okay. It's not gendered, if that's your point. Like it's not yeah, saying yeah. men especially deal with sexual desire so they need a wife. He's just saying don't artificially hold off on getting married because you think mm-hmm. it's better to be single. He's like, I prefer to be single. I would love more people to be single. But if you're have marriage right in front of you. Don't be like, Oh, I don't think God wants me to. He's like, no, just go for it. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's yeah. better. It's better to, it's better to get married than to artificially delay it. Uh, yeah. just because you think it's more spiritual not to be married. Yeah. He says, totally. don't sweat it. Go for it. And the gendered part, I'm only, there's thinking nothing. Of gen- that. Yeah, exactly. So there's nothing I was thinking, gendered about it. thinking of, you know, those verses and how they were used. Like when I was growing up, it was, it was almost an attachment to what we talked about earlier of 100%. if a man's burning because <laughs> a man does burn, you know, um, acknowledging that, I mean, that's probably true for some men, but, um, mm-hmm. but also using the gendered thing, the male gendered thing, um, 
to point out, and this wasn't explicitly stated in my circles, but I know it is in some, um, that a leader has to be a married man with good kids totally. and, and things like that. Totally. Um, I, you know, just thinking of how that was so counterintuitive, like growing up thinking of Paul and Jesus and even yes. the apostles, but it, yeah, it just never fully clicked. And I, I think that's why I, I've talked about this before in my own story. Me and my wife have never operated from uh, even the complementary. We grew up very complementarian, but mm-hmm. um, the complementarian view of a marriage, I, I just have never, I didn't even think about that. It, it just mm-hmm. never happened. Um, there were times where I led more and my wife led more. I mean, mm-hmm. past two years, my wife has led this family on her back, going through burnout and mm-hmm. all that. But um, so that like never fully clicked. And so I'd look at the gendered language of a male burning and then in conjunction with like Jesus and Paul. And I don't know, just the whole realm of like leadership and men who struggle. It was like mm-hmm. men are really bad and struggling. And they're also supposed to be good husbands and then leaders Mm-hmm. of their wives who they were struggling to, I don't know. It just never made sense. I don't know if this was like a male thing any, anybody worked through, but um, yeah, just using the Bible, the um, New Testament totally. for like male purity language was, it just never made sense. It never worked either. Never worked. No, to no. Really, yeah. Um, deal with the actions or even the thought process, like my theology. It just, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. It was jacked in my head. A lot of what I went through. Um, Yeah. So I don't know if you have anything to say about that. Um, I don't know if you. I I would just summarize. Yeah. I would just summarize and say, look at first Corinthians seven for people who are interested in this topic. And maybe, because I think this is the case. There are two things that are, that are used from this, um, this chapter oftentimes in these conversations is like, it's better to, it's better to marry than to burn. And, you know, guys are often burning. So we need to make sure they get married. So they're not burning anymore. Um, That's number one. Number two is the do not deprive one another language, which is just a few verses earlier, um, which again is not gendered. In fact, it's radically, it's radically mutual Mm. in the sense that it's, it doesn't say, it doesn't say wives do not deprive your husbands. It says do not deprive one another. Um, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And that was, man, that was turning the world upside down, that type of rhetoric. Not just <laughs> yeah. that the wife belonged to the husband, but that the husband's body belonged to the wife. Um So that the mutuality in that and the fact that this isn't kind of sorted out into like a men's sexual needs um, paradigm is really, I think, something that we often need to take a closer look at when we read 1 Corinthians 7. Man, that's so good. Well, to be respectful of time, if you could just think of and I want to make this gendered because my own experience doesn't have to be. I'm sure it'll be great. But for, um, you know, a single man. Mm. Maybe burning, maybe not burning. <laughs> uh, Seventeen to twenty-five. What are we saying? Sure. Even older. Whatever. This is just. What are we saying? How can we grow up in chastity? Uh, what's your encouragement mm. for a masculine, masculine man? Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's a is something I say it a couple times in the book is that it really is a good thing to be a man, and I think for guys who 
have some frustration or struggle around their sexuality, they can kind of, and they associate that, like I have these intense sexual desires because I'm male and that's a bad thing mm -hmm. about me. Um, something I say at a couple points in the book is that God delights in who you are as a person, including your sexuality. He made you that way. And we didn't make you for sexual sin, but the desires that are sometimes twisted and bent towards sin are at root, they're good desires, their desires for beauty, their desires for adventure, their desires for pleasure, their desires for connection and relationship. Those are all wonderful things about creation. So, um, and about being human. So God wants to do something beautiful in and through your humanity as a young man, not in spite of your sexuality, but in and through it. And there's far more to your sexuality than just like whether you have sex in the next 10 minutes or 10 months or 10 years. Um, our sexuality is not just about sexual intercourse. It's about the way we relate to other human beings um, of our same gender, the way we relate to people who are, and this is getting into like big categories of like, what does it mean to be a sexual person? Um, yeah. but, uh, I argue, uh, in the book and there are other people who have done it far more extensively and far better than I have, um, that our sexuality cannot just be reduced to that. So I would encourage if you're a young man thinking about these types of things or you're struggling one, uh, it's not your sexuality per se is not a bad thing about you. It's a good thing about you. And um, it's not growing into a healthy expression of your sexuality is not just about hurrying up and getting married. Although you're very welcome to pursue that as the apostle Paul um, <laughs> says in first Corinthians seven. Yeah. Um, but healthy expressions of sexuality can be, can mean like being a good friend and being a safe space for uh, men and women who are survivors of, of, of sexual abuse or seeking out that healing yourself or um, being in uh, relationships with kids and uh, living into the, your calling, uh, not just as a literal father for kids that you do have or might have in the future, but as uh having a fatherly orientation in various spheres of life i think all of those are expressions of male sexuality so once you kind of expand your vision for what male sexuality is about and it's not just about hurrying up and getting married so you can so you have someone to have sex with um i think it there's all sorts of things you can think through like oh that could be growing into a healthier version of my uh sexuality mm -hmm. or that could be growing up into the virtue of chastity and um and I do think as we expand that vision, the things like uh, compulsive sexual behavior and masturbation and pornography and those types of things that young people can find themselves struggling with at times, um, those might actually not have the same draw or the same allure, or you might see yourself um, slowly, but growing into healthier patterns with those things as well. So yeah, it's my best, uh, best shot at kind of a summary, summary encouragement there. Yeah, I love that. Being a man is good, just like being a woman is good. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I love that, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And um, for everybody out there, especially my brothers in Christ, um, non-toxic masculinity, buy it and read it and d cry. 
<laughs> and enjoy. So thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks, Paxton. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the conversation. 